And uh, great to see some of our, our students home. Uh, Jaden back on the drums. Michael, all you guys coming back to get pampered a little bit by uh, your families. Uh, that's great. It's, it's so good to see the family back together. And I, I trust you guys have a, an absolutely wonderful weekend together. Have you noticed uh, how rapidly our world is changing? We can't keep up with it. I, 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 just, I just thought of this. Um, a number of years ago, I did one of the many stupid things I've done in my life. The odd time I share stupid things with you, and, uh, and I hope you still can respect me in some ways. What I did, one, this stupid thing, I was in college, and I traded a sister-in-law of mine a horse saddle, okay, are you ready, for a Commodore 64. Well, yeah, <laughs> who did that? Um, you guys don't have a clue what a Commodore 64, you do know? Oh, man, you guys are awesome. Because they haven't been around since, like, your parents weren't even married when they were around. And uh, so it was, it's a computer. It was a little dinky computer, and I traded the saddle. Now, the value of the saddle continued to maintain that of a few hundred dollars, whereas this was worth nothing, you know, like, but the garbage six, eight months later because technology changes so quickly. But, but we live in this world where at breakneck speed, things are changing. And there's an explosion of knowledge. Uh, Buckminster Fuller created what they called the knowledge doubling curve. And what they were trying to do is figure out how long it takes for knowledge to double. And when we go back before 1900, um, in, in those few centuries there, it, it took about 100 years to double the amount of knowledge. And then we came to post-Second World War, and it was now 25 years to double the amount of knowledge we have. Currently, we're sitting at about 13 months. That means knowledge is doubling in 13 months, and some of the brain... Uh, power from IBM have opined that it may get through the internet so that we are doubling knowledge every 12 hours. It's crazy, uh, the, the amount of change that's happening. Philip Stevens has stated, what is certain is that the world is changing faster than any time in human history. And one thing is for sure, I would tell you, change is not optional. Change is not optional. Um, you, can, you can't fully opt out of change in your life, as unsettling as that can be, because things are changing on us all the time. And we might try to, to fight that, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes you say, look, we don't support this product anymore. We don't sell those anymore. We can't fix them anymore. You need to throw it out. It, it, it's no good. Uh, sometimes we're forced into it like that. When, when you think about computers that were once possessed by a few elite kind of people, now everybody, virtually everybody, um, has a computer, and it's a part of everyday life. 
Cell phones are everywhere. Uh, you know, you, you go to very poor countries. I, you know, in India, for instance, you see people in, in places in Africa where, where they're, they're poverty-stricken, but you see them going around with a cell phone. And it, it's interesting uh, to, to kind of figure that uh, the cell phone is really a computer in your hand. It's a million times cheaper, a hundred, a thousand times more powerful. It's ten thousand. It's one hundred and one hundred thousand times smaller than the computer, the big computer that was built at Massachusetts Institute of Technology in 1965, one of the most prodigious schools. It's no comparison. What took a whole building to house, now we hold in the palm of our hand. The top 10 in-demand jobs in 2010 did not exist in 2004. Isn't that incredible? Someone has said we are preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist using technologies that haven't been yet invented in order to solve problems we don't yet know are problems. That's change in our world. And uh, we come up with things. We have old technologies that aren't supported anymore. Um, before I moved down here and, uh, from, from London, and you know when you go through the moving process, you get rid of stuff. I had had a couple of box of vinyl, uh, LP records. And uh, I thought, I, I got to get rid of this. I have cassette stuff. Uh, any of you, any of you heard of what an eight track is? We have an exceptional group of young people. I don't know how they know this stuff. I mean, this stuff is all passe. I remember going to a seminary library and finding that they had some resources, and there was a speaker delivering a, uh, a lecture, and I wanted to hear this. And it was somewhere in their building on cassette. And so I went to the librarian, and I said, can you tell me you know, where I can get that cassette? And she said, I, I, I don't have a clue. And she had asked somebody who had asked somebody, and they found it, that I didn't have a cassette player. So I couldn't listen to this. Now, that technology is not that old, but it, it's gone. And uh, we're so used to things like uh, online. We do our banking on our phones or on our computers. We buy event tickets. We shop. We buy airline tickets or book vacations. We respond to invitations. We surf the web. We take pictures. Um, all of these kind of things we're doing. Uh, and the world has changed. And while there are many wonderful uh, uh, changes in society, um, there's some changes we know that are not good. We know that in, in the, the world in which we live now, that, that some of the standards uh, that, that may have been accepted years ago are no longer accepted. Uh, we know that uh, the acceptance and promotion of moral st uh, stands that are at cross-purposes with God's Word is something that we're confronted with. Um, there are stresses and pressures because now you're never away from work. You're never away from people. Uh, they can get you at any time. You can be on vacation and work can call you. And, and there's this greater de degree of stress. And well, this is supposed to relieve us of a lot of things in our lives, in many cases, it doesn't. And, and so we're left trying to manage um, these kind of uh, things in our life. Um, and... You, if you're like me, sometimes you have to get your kids or your grandkids to help you fix it or reset it when it, uh, the power goes off or something like that. 
Um, but here's the thing. Change is not all bad. Uh, sometimes we long for the good old days, don't we, Dad? Oh, those good old days. Wasn't that great? No running water, an outhouse in the middle of winter. Man, those were, I wish we could return to those days. The days when infant mortality rates were sky high and we've all but eradicated uh, some of those uh, diseases. Um, we, we have, my, my father wouldn't be here today if it weren't for modern technology. Um, his father died of heart. His father's father died of heart. My dad had a bi- bypass surgery. All of his brothers and sisters except one have had bypass surgery. So they're all living because of medical technology. And, and we're, we've done some wonderful things. And, uh, and, and some of this is... is is incredible. It's, it's not all bad. And yet, you know, you find, I found that sometimes people don't, we just don't like change sometimes, do we? And, and I remember when I was in Exeter, okay, it's a small town, and you got your mail by going to the, to the, uh, the post office downtown. And everybody had a, post, a box at the post office, and they said, you know, we're, we're going to do some newfangled invention here. We're going to put post boxes in your neighborhood. And there was an outcry from the town. We don't like this. We used to have to drive downtown to, to get our mail. And now it's so conveniently right there. And if you're in, a, uh, if you're in a, uh, an apartment building, then you just walk to the front door and there's a place for all the mail is in. You know, it's kind of crazy. People were complaining about it. Why? Because we don't like change sometimes. We find change unsettling. Well... We have a lot of positive things that can happen in change. Uh, this week, I uh, spent some time with uh, Derek Burnett, our missionary. In fact, he'll be speaking next Sunday, and so you won't want to miss that. That will be great. But uh, Derek was talking about technology, and he said, you know, missionaries believe that Skype was, was ordained for them. Because in, in, in one day, it used to take you so long to get to the place where you were going to minister. If you were going halfway around the world, it could be, it could be a couple of months uh, travel. And if you sent a letter, even in more current times, it, it, it could take two weeks to get the letter. And now grandparents are talking to their grandchildren in Thailand. And I mean, it's, it's fabulous, some of the things that can be done. Um, and, and we have opportunities to use change in technology for God's work in incredible ways. Um, a few weeks ago, we had somebody uh, from the Middle East who was here with a friend who wanted to go to church because she's never been to a Christian church, and she came to our church. And I had a wonderful talk with her afterwards and, and had, had the opportunity of sharing the gospel with her, and I had an interpreter for the parts of her English that you know were a, a little more difficult. And she was she was so grateful and, and thankful, and um, she kind of not quite ready to become a follower of Jesus Christ, but very warm and open and wanting to to do more. Well, she was heading back five days later, and uh, I said, you know, um, you can get all of our services on on the web. Uh, you can go on our, web, uh, on our, our uh, church site and, and you can follow and track with us. And some of the things are incredible that we're able to do. And so here she could be in a, in a Muslim country where she can't 
find readily support and help and encouragement. She can email us with questions and all of this kind of thing. It's incredible. Seminaries are now offering courses online so people around the world are able to take advantage of that. And we have incredible resources. It's it's quite marvelous. And while we're trying to keep pace with all this change, I want to tell you, I'm grateful to be living in this time. You know, some people, you know, we, we think with nostalgic, nostalgia and, and, and fondness of the past. I'm glad to be living in the time I'm living. I know it has challenges. It does have challenges, but it's a great place. Now, you might be interested to know that God endorses change. God or, or, or uh, he endorses change. He promotes change. God is a change agent. And what I'm going to do for you, just in the next couple of minutes, is I'm going to burn through a whole pile of statements to help you see in the Bible how God endorses and promotes change. I'll call this a theology of change. Now, follow me. The first thing is... uh, the cultural or dominion mandate that we run up against in Genesis chapter 2. When God created, uh, he put the man and the woman in a garden. It was a defined space. It was a beautiful space that God himself made um, and, and fashioned and formed. It was a defined space. He didn't make the whole world a garden. That was left for us as humankind. We were called uh, to take, and, and in this cultural mandate, we were to make the world, cre- uh, fashion the world, uh, develop the world, be creative. That he gave to us. And, and so God gave us a world that needed some changing. He gave us a world that needed some developing and, and, and some designing and, and using creative genius and hard work. Well, a very negative change came upon all of humanity when, when our first parents said, you know what, we're not, we're not uh, God has told us to not touch the fruit of this tree, not eat the fruit of this tree, rather, um, or we would die. And, and sadly, they made a, a very bad decision to defy God and what God wanted for them And they plunged not only themselves, but all humanity into darkness. They ruined that relationship. A curse came upon the earth and people because of that bad change. But God would bring about positive change. And and he would have a system whereby they could worship him and have their sins atoned for. But then God did this. God instituted a new covenant. Why did God have a new covenant? We needed something new, and God was going to do something new, a new covenant. And he called sinners to repent. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is turning around and heading in the other direction. It's changing your mind. I used to believe this. I used to go in that direction. Now I go in this direction. God called for a change. Repent. He called for us to repent. Um, And we, as people, need reconciliation. And in Scripture, he tells us that. that The relationship we had with God that has been, it has been broken. 
And there needs to be a change, but we can't do anything about that change. God would do it all, and he would provide a means of reconciliation so that we could have a new relationship with God. And then we're told that we were given a new birth. We became a new person. Some of you are writing this down. Don't write it down. Because it's all in your life group notes. And if you are not in a life group, you need to be in a life group. And if you slipped to the life group table and just picked up one of these and casually walked out, that would be okay too. But sign up for a life group. Um, And then, you know what? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. God is all about newness. And we're to live, according to Romans 6 and 4, we're to live a new life. And believers are to grow up in their faith like newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word so you may grow by it. And we're to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Renew. We're to serve in a new way, the way of the Spirit. God has made one new man of the Jew and Gentile. So he used to be Jew and Gentile. No, it's no more. It's one new man. It's the church. It's the people of God, Jews and Gentiles together. Jesus was uh, talked about new wine. And new wine needs to go into wineskin, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. And God is making for us a new heaven and a new earth on which to live. And he's given us a new song to sing. And uh, this is, a, this is a, uh, a, a scripture that I've found uh, at times in church nurseries. And it's from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So that's our motto. Your child may not sleep, but your child, if necessary, will be changed. Um, And we will be changed. And, And lastly, Christ will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. See, God is into change. God promotes change in all of our lives. And God isn't about uh, a change um, which comes, he's about a change that comes from the mess in our world and in our lives because of sinfulness that radically needs to be changed. And God is all for change and he promotes change. God endorses here personal change. You see, if we're not changing personally, if we're not growing spiritually, if we're not becoming more like Jesus, we're not with God's program. Because God's program is that we should be changed. And the process of that change should start when we open our heart uh, to put our trust in Jesus Christ and become a part of his family. And it will, should take place until we leave this earth and go into his presence when he'll do some final change work in our life so that we won't be struggling with a lot of the stuff that we're struggling with now. We should be continually changing. 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18 says uh, that, that 
we, when we look into his likeness, we're changed from glory to glory. That, that we start and, and look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. He wants us to change. Change is his program for us, every single one of us. And our mission is to lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. And if you're going to follow him passionately, you're going to have to change in your life. All of us will. To bring our lives into conformity with his word, with his will, with his likeness. And uh, if, you, if you had a child, if you had a baby, and uh, we saw that baby, and then we saw that, that person 25 years later, and if that person hadn't grown... If that person hadn't, if that person was still tiny, was still in diapers, was still being bottle fed, you'd say there's something tragically wrong. That that person is to grow and to mature, to to gain mental and physical growth and and social adjustment and all the rest of those things. And so it is with God. We are, as I said before. Like newborn babies, desire the spiritual milk of the word so that you may grow by it. And grow is change, and all of us want to change and and understand that that's right. God wants you to change, and you need to be on a growth trajectory wherever you have been. You need to be on a growth trajectory to be growing and changing continually in your life. Um, are you changing? Are you growing? Have you found actually that, that you're more like Christ than you were last year? That you understand and you, you're follow and obey the word of God more than you did before? I hope you can say that. And, and as a church, we're committed to helping you become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. That means you will be changing uh, that means you will be growing and p- progressively becoming like Jesus. And uh, we have a lot of things, not the least of which is our morning worship service. We have life groups. We have Bible study groups. We have groups for children and, and, and programs for children and, and women and men. and all. You, you've seen the announcements, all the kinds of things that we have. And we're trying to provide opportunities for you to grow. In fact, um, a little later in this fall, we're going to do a series of about five things that God uses to grow you in your faith. And, and we want to help you grow, but all of us need to be committed to that. And, and you know, growth shouldn't end with retirement. Um, uh, Edna Ede, um, I, I asked her if, if I could use her as an example because I, I was just so impressed with her. She's 87. It's okay. She said I could say that, all right? Um, I, I, you know, I don't look that smart, but I'm, you know, there are a few things I've <laughs> learned. But Edna came in to our church and she said, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a new church, but I want a place where I can serve. Now, a lot of 87-year-olds are saying, I want a place where I can put my foot up and be ministered to and just enjoy. But she didn't say that. She said, what's critical for me is to find a place where I can serve because I'm, I want to continue to serve. In May of this year, she graduated from Tyndale with a master's in theological studies. 
Is that cool or what? You see, yeah. And what I'm saying is, we need to be on the growing edge. Whoever you are, however old you are, and I realize that we all have limitations by virtue of, of, of age and all kinds of things that, that, that happen in life, but God never wanted you to stop growing and becoming more like Jesus. And my, and my challenge to you is, you is this. Are you doing that? Are you following Jesus? Um, and, and I trust you are. Um, but let me speak to you if you haven't yet become a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and and I, if you haven't become a follower, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're listening and processing and, and, and trying to make sense of it and, and to figure it out. Um, but, but I want to tell you, here's your state before God if you have not yet put your trust in him. You are in an adversarial stance or posture with God. You think, you know what, I'm really not against God. I, I don't know why you'd say that. Because if we haven't trusted Christ, then we're under his judgment and condemnation. And he loves us. He doesn't want that. And only he can fix our relationship. Our relationship, as I said, with him is broken. And the good news is, though we can't change it, God loved us so much that he did something that we couldn't do so that he could put that relationship back together. He loves us and he had a way to forgive us of our sins and our rebellions. And that was through sending his son to earth to die on a cross that we sang about this morning. To pay the penalty for our sin that he might save us and that he might restore that relationship. So he took my punishment for my sin and my rebellion on the cross. And here's what Romans 5 and verse 10 says. For while we were God's enemies, um, uh, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He made a way to put the relationship together. What's broken can be made new and you can be put together with him. And my prayer is for you. If you haven't done that, that you would investigate, talk to us. We would love to talk to you. We'd love for you to be in a, an, an alpha course or something because God has made provision for you and you can trust him and put your faith in him and he will, he will correct that and give you a brand new relationship with him. Um, that is the change that God wants to make in our life. But I want to talk for just a second about corporate change. And that is change in the family of God, change in the church. As the world around us changes, we need to be able to adapt to continue to be relevant in a society that is shifting and changing all the time. We need to be relevant as we serve our community. And God expects the church to minister effectively to various, at various times and in various places and to various uh, different uh, people groups. In fact, if the, cha- if, if the church refuses to adapt and change in its circumstances, it will shrink and eventually die. You might be shocked to know, and I could not find uh, figures on Canada, but in the United States... Uh, 4,000 churches close every year. 
and 1,000 new churches are added every year. That's a net loss of 3,000 churches. I'm sorry, I don't have the numbers for Canada, but I know of a number of churches that have closed. I know that have shrunk and, uh, and they no longer exist. And some of these churches are populated by dear gray-headed folks who who love God and who've been faithful. And the only reason that the place has been going is because of the faithfulness of some of those folks. And at some point, it's lost and they have to shut down the church. Um, And part of the problem is, uh, the question is, are we reaching a younger demographic? And uh, we said, talking about our vision, that we are committed to reaching young people, children, young adults for Christ. Now, when I came here, we did, we've done two different, um, uh, two different surveys. And here's what I'll tell you that has happened between uh, 2014 and 2016. In the 60-plus category, we grew 35%. In the 18 to 39 category, we grew 10%. And that concerns me. It concerns me that we're not gaining as many younger people and um, I, am, I am so happy for the older members of our congregation. I love our seniors. I love what God has done in them and through them and how we stand on their shoulders and how so many of them continue to faithfully serve. And, and I, I am so gra- grateful for that. But I know that a healthy church needs to be reaching more younger people. And that's a concern for me that we'd be able to reach and equip more people who will be leaders in our next generation. And uh, in, in Psalm 78, the psalmist says this. Psalm 78. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. This is God. Which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children to be born, and they... Inter- in turn, would tell their children. We've got to reach the next generation. Let me tell you, uh, so many of uh, parents and grandparents are heartbroken that they've watched young people walk away from the faith where where it it just doesn't have any meaning for them. They've turned away. And one of the things that we are called to do is to reach more younger people, reach the next generation for Christ. And I want to tell you, if we're going to do that, we need to be willing to adapt and change in time to reach a new generation. And you, you say to me, well, Pastor Kevin, is that okay? Should we be doing that? Should we be changing in the church things so that we can reach a, a, a younger generation, a new generation? Are we compromising? And, and I, that's an absolutely legitimate question. But I want to I want to help you to understand in this way. Jesus brought a new way. He brought the gospel. His death would render uh, useless some of the Old Testament worship that had gone on. Uh, It would make it obsolete. There would no longer be a temple. We wouldn't go to a temple. There'd no longer be sacrifices uh, there, there would no longer be adherence to traditions, that many of which never came out of the Bible anyway. There were man-made traditions. Uh, there wouldn't be segregation of Jew and Gentile. 
there would be a plan to go out and reach people, not just sit and wait for them to come to you. Um, there'd be no more sacrifice in the temple. All of these things would change. And Jesus came as a revolutionary with new ways and, and new thoughts and new ideas. And he was largely rejected by the people. And uh, Jesus always does right. In, in Matthew 9, Jesus is talking about, you don't sow a new patch of, of cloth on an old garment. Why? Because it hasn't been shrunk yet. So you, you do it, and, and as that shrinks, it pulls away and ruins. He said, you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. Why? Because when the old wine is in the wineskin, it, it begins to dry out in time. And when you put new wine in, and it begins to ferment, and, and there are gases that build up, and, and it gets brittle, it, it loses all its stuff. It, it breaks apart. Jesus said you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And Jesus was talking to the, the, the leaders and saying, some things are going to be new, and you, you can't just maintain and, and put the new and the old together. There is a time for new things. And, and uh, uh, we, need to, we need to understand that. A time has come for new ways, and we have to do things sometimes in different ways. The interesting thing in, in uh, Luke's version of this, in, in Luke 5, 39, he, he says this uh, about the old... And he says, and people who drink the old wine like the old wine. You know what that means? We are all stuck on what we're comfortable with. And we're not willing sometimes to make a change. And, and Jesus says, no, a new time has come, and we need new kind of format sometimes, new kind of things. And, uh, and we can be happy with the old things. But the question is, are we reaching a new generation? Are we being effective in terms of our mission? Well, the early church was confronted with that. A church that began basically with Jewish people who became followers of Jesus. That was the start of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, there were new ways, and those new ways were offensive to the, to the people. Uh, those people were trying to enforce Jewish law on new believers, Gentile believers. They wanted the Gentile believers to be circumcised. They wanted them to follow dietary restrictions and laws. They wanted them to observe Sabbath and all the rest of this thing. And it was causing a rift. And the rift was so big and so important that it could have shut down the global enterprise of the gospel. And it would only ever be a Jewish thing. And there was a council called in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 to deal with this because it was such a critical issue. And they had to come to grips with, it was a new day, and there would be new changes. And uh, the mother church in Jerusalem would settle that whole fiasco. And uh, without that, we wouldn't have a foray of the gospel into the world. So now we, got, now we have the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who's the greatest missionary the church has probably ever known, uh, certainly in the first century. And he goes out, and he's now trying to see people become followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, they're going to be everywhere. Uh, they're going to be from Gentile backgrounds. And very uh, a curious uh, state, uh, bit of Scripture, and you'll be looking at this in your life groups in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says this. He says, you know, to the Jew, I became a Jew. Paul, you are a Jew. I, I know, but 
to the Jew, I live like a Jew. I, I, if when I'm trying to win Jewish people, what I do is I accommodate to them and I, I observe the Sabbath and all of the, the laws. And, and Why? Because I want to win them for Christ. And to the people who don't have the law, the Gentiles who don't understand, he said, I eat bacon with them. Because the Jews would be really mad if they found that. But, uh, but I'm not bound by that. There are changes. And he said, what I do is, is I, when I'm with them, I accommodate myself to them. Paul, do you sin? No, I don't sin. Those aren't issues of sin. Those are issues of preference. And he says, I do that. Why do you do that? To the weak, he said, I became weak. So that by all possible means, I might save some. He said, the, the thing for me is the mission that we have. And I'm willing to make some changes and, and adapt myself to a different crowd for the sake of that, to be effective. And look, if we want to be effective, we need to understand that we live in a world that is changing, and we need to accommodate ourselves to those changes in ways that allow us to continue to speak and, uh, and be effective. And, uh, and, of course, Paul didn't violate Scripture in any of those things, but he taught us that we need to be understanding of where we're where we're serving in ministry and how we do that. And so we need to shape some of our ministry approaches and styles to reach a current generation. Otherwise, we could be like old order Mennonites. We could wear clothes from the 1800s. We could refuse to drive cars. We could, we could live in a way that is so out of step with the people that are around us and be segregated and not really care. And... Uh, and that's not what it was about. If we did that, we, I'll tell you what, uh, at a point in time in the history of the church, the only music they did were singing psalms. And they didn't have any, uh, they didn't have any accompaniment. Um, McGirt and I and our family have been in Holland, and we've gone to an old Reformed church, and all they sing in that old Reformed church are psalms. Now, they do have an organ there. But, you know, for some people, adding an instrument, well, that's crazy. We can't do that. That would be wrong. And then we have people like Fanny Crosby who came and brought so much beautiful, um, so many beautiful hymns. And uh, some of the music that she was doing, they picked up some tunes that were played in the, in the, uh, the pub. And they were now using those tunes with as for scripture hymns, and people go, you can't do that. And now, I mean, Fanny Crosby is revered, blessed assurance, and all the beautiful hymnody that she came in. And so things change with time. And, and we need to be willing to change. Um, it's change or die. Anybody know the name Eastman Kodak? Kodak film. 130-year history. An incredible company, a successful company, a profitable company, a company that actually patented, are you ready for this? The first digital camera. They patented the first digital camera and they called it the filmless camera. But they miscalculated. They held on to their old technology. Even though they were, even though they were pioneering some of this stuff, they never brought that forward. And in 2012, this company that had been a stalwart filed for bankruptcy. You see, they never, they never understood what was going on in the world. 
Um, I, I've got a, I, uh, there's an advertisement playing on TV right now, and I got permission to be able to show this here. And I think it's beautiful. It, it, it makes such a, a great point. Watch this. TV sales are down. We're getting killed by this internet fad. How about a music club? Uh, ten CDs for a dollar. We should invest in laser discs. What if we didn't have to sell CDs? If the market trend is to shift online, we should create an online platform and charge monthly subscription fees. How is that going to help us sell CDs? Are you on the right side of change? Ask a CPA, Chartered Professional Accountants. I saw that thing and I said, oh man, that is just what, that's kind of what we're like. Here's, here's a record company. Here's a music company who are trying to sell music. And, and in their discussion, we're not having the CD sales. This is in the 19, we're not having the CD sales. What should we do? Um, yeah, well, this internet fad that's going on. Yeah, we, you know, we don't want anything to do with that. And, and, and so they've got all these cockamamie ideas that don't really understand where things are going and, and, what, and what's happening to that. And, and, and so here, I mean, what they're trying to do is sell music. What they're fixated on is selling CDs. What we're trying to do is to bring people to Christ. And sometimes what we get fixated on is, well, the method. We have to use the same method that we've always used. And the method may not be working. We, really, we need to know what, what the final thing is about. I had the opportunity of hearing a man, by the, a, a pastor by the name of Brad Powell speak. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a conference um, at Saddleback Church in California. And here's a guy who went into a church. Um, the church was called Temple Baptist. It was in Plymouth, Michigan. Um, it was a church of like 4,000 people in the 1960s. You know what? In the, in the States, they have numbers that we can't even begin to fathom. But a church of 4,000 in the 1960s is like, wow. That's, those are so rare. And uh, it had been a vibrant church. He went there in 1980 uh, to this church as a young guy in his mid-late 30s. Um, this is a church that had sunk to about 700 people and, and was losing traction. It was just going down, 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 down. And he came in and did something uh, absolutely new. Um, as a young man, he came in and stirred it up. And many people didn't like his approach. A lot of people left the church. A lot of people didn't want anything to do with it. But he reached a lot of people with the gospel, changed the name of the church to Northridge Church. Gerd and I had the uh, privilege... Uh, uh, of going and, and being a part of their services before. And, and uh, what was incredible is this is now a church of almost 15,000, I think 14,700. It was a church that was dying, but it had to rebirth itself in a new way. And uh, I was listening to him in a, in a seminar a few years ago, and um, he, he, uh, had, he had a couple people interviewed and one of them was an older lady, and she was asked this question, how do you like the music in your church? And she giggled, and she said, oh, I hate it. But people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and that struck a chord. Are, are you concerned about being comfortable where you are? Are you concerned about reaching people for Jesus Christ?
See, there was a person that says, this is not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about getting everything I want. It's about reaching a new generation for Christ. And am I willing to do that? Do I understand the challenge of this age? You know, in, there's, in, the, in the chronology, in, in the genealogy of 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and this is, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't say this, okay, but it, it's a really boring part of Scripture. Uh, it's an, imp- an important part for reasons, but, you know, they go through uh, uh, all these families and name after name that you can't pronounce. But they stopped and they said one thing uh, about Issachar. He said, the tribe of Issachar, the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what to do. Oh, the Unionville Alliance Church would understand the times and know what to do. That's the call to us. We need to know what to do to reach the next generation. And, uh, you know, there's so many new things to us. And I, I got to tell you, things that I'm not that conversant with. That's why I, sound, or I, I surround myself with younger people. They're not as young as they think, but they're younger than I am. Um, because we need to know how to use the technology and how to reach people and how they think and, and how we can reach them and what things are important to them. And so things like, like, like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of this kind of stuff. Do you know that the average teenager today sends 2,272 texts per month? Yeah. That's what I thought, too. Um, you know, so it's, it's a changing environment, and we've got to reach out and figure out how to do some of these things. It's not optional. Reaching the gen- next generation is not an option for us. We can't say, well, do we want to do it or not? Maybe we, we don't want to do that. No, sometimes we have to pay the price. Now, and this leaves a question up for grabs. Does that mean that anything can be changed and, and everything is up for grabs? And I want to tell you that in, in this case, some things can never change. Some things can never change. I'll tell you one thing that can't change, and that is God's character. God's character can never change. God does, he's not flighty. In, 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 uh, in James 1.17, it says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't change. Malachi says this, I, the Lord, do not change. And in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. His character doesn't change. And secondly, God's word doesn't change. God's word never changes. In, in uh, Isaiah uh, 40 and verse 8, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. In Luke 21 and 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I tell you what, we will never give up on the gospel. You cannot replace the gospel. The gospel is offensive for some people. That's okay. If it's offensive, it can be offensive because we can't apologize for the offense of the gospel. It is what it is, and it's the power of God. We can never change those things, but things that can change, things like forms, we need to be able to be um, uh, uh, we need to be able to be flexible in some of those things. Um, 
We need people who are willing to flex, willing to grow, willing to risk trying something new. Uh, we need people who will, uh, we need older people who will connect with our young people. I, you know, I, about, about four weeks ago, I was, I was leaving after the service coming out in and Jim Dornan, I asked him if I could, I could share this, and, and I, if I could share his name, because he's 92, and I think that's so cool when you get, <laughs> when you get to that age, because I'll probably never see it. But, uh, and Jim gave me a big bear hug, and he said, I love the passion in our church. And I said, so do I. I love that spirit. And so Andrew Allegoratnam, Andrew, Andrew is, uh, plays, the, uh, plays the bass, and we had a men's breakfast. And uh, uh, Andrew said, well, I, I, I can pick Jim up. Jim needs a, a ride. I, I can pick him up. So they got talking. And, uh, and, uh, and Andrew found out that Jim loves to pray for people. And he says, well, would you pray for me? Because Andrew's leading um, a, an alpha course that we're running for young adults in uh, Starbucks. Okay? Just different. Different venue. Different kind of feel and, and all the rest of that. And uh, Jim said, I'm sure, I'll surely pray for that. So these guys have connected up as prayer partners, and, and he's got a part in that ministry. Is that fantastic? And, and what we need is people who are, who are, are, are going to say, I'm going to be a part of this. And we need our older folks to say, hey, look, at, this isn't all my cup of tea, but, but you know, I realize what we're trying to do, and I want to be a part of that. I'm going to tell you an experience I had. Um, in, in my previous church, there was a group uh, of young people, about 75 young people that sat over in this area, uh, right at the front of the church. And I would watch them sometimes in, in our, our time of worship and music, and I would see some of them as I see some of ours now, and, and they're just worshiping the Lord. They, they look so engaged in, in, with God. And I, I talked to our seniors because there was a little bit of, you know, we're not crazy about all the music and we're this and that and the other thing. And I, and I, I said to some of these whose kids aren't following the Lord, whose grandkids aren't following the Lord, they've walked on the faith. And I, face, and I said, tell me, answer for me this. What would you give to have your grandchildren sitting there worshiping God and giving their lives to passionately follow him? You know what? I, 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 was the, I wasn't asking for an out, uh, a verbal response. I would give my right arm for that. I'd give anything for my children and grandchildren to follow Christ. And my challenge to us is this. We need to get on board. And you need to help us as we look for ways. All of this stuff, and Terry, Terry Donor has put hours and hours into this. We realize that